0: Thank you for that beautiful music. Good morning again. How many of you have celebrated your freedom this weekend? Maybe yesterday or Friday or still doing it today. You know, I hope that's 100% of our hands. And I'll tell you why because whether you enjoyed some patriotic music or a regular tradition of a poolside barbecue or even made the trek to Town Lake last night to Lady Bird Lake for the fireworks, I hope that you are celebrating America's freedom because it is a gift and we are so very blessed. It is appropriate for us to give our thanks to God for these gifts of freedom. Freedom is one of our Greatest gifts from God. Do you like your freedom? Personally, I can't even imagine living without it. Although in my head, I know that there are millions of people on this earth that do not have the freedom that I have. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to vote or not vote, freedom to eat or not eat genetically modified food. Freedom to choose the store where I want to buy my clothes. These are political and social freedoms for which we should be very grateful. It's not often that you hear me say shoulds, but in this case, I feel really strongly about us learning to be grateful. We're also blessed with another even greater freedom. It is Christian freedom, the freedom we have in faith it is not a gift of our country but of our god so what is freedom in faith and what makes us free in our faith in john 8:32 jesus tells us the truth shall make you free so it is the truth freedom in faith is found in the scripture it is gives witness to true freedom that we have in the death and resurrection of our lord jesus christ And in John 17, 17, when Jesus is praying for his disciples in his dear, sweet prayer, he prays, Father, make these disciples holy through the truth. This morning, I want us to look at the Bible for the truth of freedom in Christ, from what we are free to what we are free and for what we are free. Paul wrote a letter about freedom to the church in Galatia a church that he once started. In his eyes, this church was under um, spiritual attack of false teaching by a sect that came into Galatia following him. And this sect believed that you could be both Christian and follow the Torah law. And they did that by circumcision. So Paul disagreed. But should the Galatians had to struggle with this issue? And Paul answered them in his letter. Should they submit to circumcision or not? Let's see what Paul has to say about Christian freedom. Listen now as I read to you from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, 13 and 14. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated, then, to the whole to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts in faith is expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We Christians often talk about the gospel, generically referring to the first four books of the New Testament. But the word actually means, as you already know, good news. One of the best ways that you and I can explain the good news about Jesus Christ in our culture and world today is to talk about freedom. So what is freedom? Have you ever thought about what it really is? Very simply, freedom is defined as release. Many Old Testament words related to freedom concern liberation, liberation from slavery, from moral obligations, from legal responsibilities, and even from economic distress. Not, not generally speaking, the freedom describes release from any of these things. Many of the same things apply in the New Testament. They're also the same words, but there's a noticeable shift here. It's a focus in freedom from sin and death, but it's as accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ— no longer dependent on our worthiness, our goodness, or our obedience. It is as it had been in the, in the Old Testament, in the Torah law. It was based upon those things. But not only does God forgive the sin of the believer, but through Christ's death he looses or releases the believer from the bondage of sin to a new eternal life. The good news is, in Jesus Christ, we are free not only from sin, but to and for a new and special life. That's good news. Christ sets his people free from that which binds us or ties us up. And there are lots of examples when you're doing your Bible study throughout the New Testament of Jesus doing just this. In John 3, Jesus sets Nicodemus free from spiritual and religious bondage. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus is set free from his lust for money. And in John 4, the woman at the well is set free from immorality, all by Jesus. The next time you read in the New Testament, maybe you'll find other examples of freedom in faith. You may remember Terry Waite. He's a famous English humanitarian that just a short while back, he's a, he was taken hostage in the process of doing hostage negotiations. He was captive, held captive in Lebanon for over four years. Does that ring a bell for you? That he was a hostage negotiator, and in the process, he was taken captive as well. He wrote a book in the 1990s called Based on Trust. And in this book, he describes being chained to this wall, only allowed to go to the bathroom once a day. And he lived on that wall for almost four years. We can only imagine the sense of freedom that he has and that he is celebrating this weekend. But just imagine for a moment that after he was released, he was walking past that building where he had been held. And one of his captors calls to him, Mr. Waite, Mr. Waite, come on over here. Won't you come on back to captivity? Would Terry Waite go back, even with the promise of new chains and new paint on the wall? No, of course he wouldn't. And why would I ask such a silly question? Well, it's very simple. It's simple because that is life as we know it. Many people I have known have done just that, including myself. In some way, not as obvious as going back into chained captivity of a hostage, but when I look around me and I observe life, I see a lot of slavery amongst us. I see people burdened with guilt, bound by fear, enslaved to habits that are sinful, And even shackled with an attitude that is far from living in the freedom of Christ. You know those people with that attitude. Why do we do this? Do we not know that Jesus has set us free, not just for a day, but for all of eternity? Well, the Galatians were in the same boat. They were contemplating, participating in Torah law, returning to the chains of bondage. When Paul steps in to teach them about freedom, he tells them it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So not for the first time, but over and over again. He warns them to be aware that they cannot serve both the law of the Torah and the cause of Christ and that they have no need to return to bondage. In John Bunyan's old book, Pilgrim's Progress, you may not have read that, but I would encourage you to read it. Most of your parents or grandparents have read it, and it's a book, um, it's a fantasy, a parable in a way, that you would enjoy reading as you listen to this example. So there is a character named Christian And there's a point in this book where Christian has been carrying a burden all of his life on his back. And he takes it off, and it, it falls off his back, and it rolls away. And maybe some of you in here would remember where that happened because it's very significant. This burden in his back falls off at the foot of the cross And guess what? It rolls into an empty tomb. He never again carries that burden on his back. That burden, by the way, is sin. Christ died to set all of us free from the burden of sin. We can leave our burdens and our bondage not where we take them off at the foot of the cross, but for forever in the empty tomb. Today we celebrate that we have been freed from the burden of sin. God does not wipe away our sin, give us salvation, and then put on us handcuffs of past memories to hinder our Christian life. We are also free from our past. He has wiped it clean. Even though we must live in the midst of persons and memories of that past life. But through faith, the past imprisons us no longer. The debt has been paid, and we have freedom from our past. We also have freedom from fear of the future, because Christ has promised, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Christ also said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are times, I have felt, and I know you have too, when each one of us feels utterly isolated and alone. But in faith, we are not left alone. Some of us need to step out and accept our freedom from fear of the future. We are also freed from the fear of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul takes a look at death and he says to us, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? You have been swallowed up in Christ. Here we are, freed from the fear of death, free to live in faith with confidence of the resurrection. We are freed from the burden of sin, the burden of our past, the fear of our future, and the fear of death. So what are we freed to now? Today in Christianity, there are two very opposing positions that exist on the aspect of Christian freedom and how we live it out, the freed to part. These positions are not new. They've been around since apostolic times. People have argued back and forth a lot. And technically, neither one of them are biblically correct. But, and both can be terribly devastating to the Christian cause. On the extreme right is legalism, while on the extreme left is personal license. Between legalism and license, there is the biblically correct position that we call true Christian freedom. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia to deal with this matter, as the church there was caught in the very same Controversy either follow the legalism of the Torah or give license to do as they please. License is described as faith with an absence of words. I am free in Christ, therefore I can do anything I want to do. Or Christ has, given, has forgiven me all sin and therefore sin doesn't matter anymore in my life. Kind of strange for most of us. Many believe that freedom means license to do whatever we want, whenever we want, without regard for sin, for God, or for other people. Paul speaks to that position in Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin in sin that grace may abound? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? God forbid, he says, Perhaps you have heard this saying, we are free from sin, but not free to sin. Clearly, Christian freedom is not selfish desires and self-focused license. Personally, I don't know too many Christians who live their life with faith in license. Maybe that's a good thing, that we were created with a conscience and we have read and heard the word of God, which is the truth that sets us free. But in Christian freedom, the flip side of license is legalism. And unfortunately, we all know individuals and churches where legalism is evident. Robert C. Roberts wrote an article in Christianity Today saying, there is something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts. I'm reading this to you, his quote. Whether your list comes from mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism, you always know where you stand, and this helps reduce anxiety. Do's and don'tsism has the advantage that you don't need wisdom. You don't have to think subtly or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to a demanding and loving God, he says. Wow. If you If not thinking is a position or requirement of legalism, I hope that you will run hard and fast and have nothing to do with it. Because God has created us with the capacity to think. We don't need to give that away. And yes, we do have to have a relationship with God. It is God who initiates and who desires that personal relationship and gives us that gift that we are to tend and to guard. Chuck Swindoll, author, speaker, and senior pastor, also says, rigidity is the trademark of legalism, the archenemy of any church on the move. Let legalism have enough rope, and there will be a lynching of all new ideas, fresh thinking, and innovative programs. Sounds to me like he's seeing this in his church. What do you think? Unfortunately, we know that there are people in our Christian circles and churches that don't want us to be free and accepted just as we are before God through grace. Sounds to me, again, like like it could be a church issue as well as an individual issue. Certainly, Paul and the Galatians had to deal with this issue, and maybe we need to ask ourselves, do we allow others to be free in Christ to be themselves? Free to have differing opinions? Free to think outside the box? Well, the Galatians were asking themselves, do they follow Paul's teaching of freedom and faith through Christ? Or do we follow a mix of faith and works, keeping part of the Torah law, while believing in Christ. I think we all fall into that category off and on through our lives. We want to take our faith fully and completely, and yet we fall back into that life is easier with a rule book. Clearly, the Galatians were looking for that rule book, that manual of operations but Paul wants them here to see a bigger picture and take a new perspective on this. The straightforward answer from Paul is that the Galatians and all Christians are not obligated to the Torah law. We are obligated, however, to God. And in this obligation to God lies our liberty and our spiritual freedom. Liberty is a faith demonstrated by works. It's not only a freedom from or a freedom to, but it's a freedom for. In Galatians 2, we read, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live for God. I once read a book called The Ten Great Freedoms, and guess what? It was based on the Ten Commandments. The thou shalt nots were transferred to the we have freedom to do these other things. Again, in our scripture for today, in verse 13, we read, Brothers and sisters, you have been called to freedom, not only to use this freedom, oh, not to use this freedom for selfishness, but for love to serve one another. We are free for a new life of service to others, as God calls us. A little footnote here. Freedom doesn't really mean living to love and serve others with an absence of law or responsibility. The Constitution of the United States promises its citizens liberty, but that doesn't give us license to break its laws. We can never truly enjoy our freedom without some restriction on our activities, because if everyone does what they please, without some restriction or guidance, it becomes eventually anarchy and chaos. As Christians, we are to maintain proper standards of conduct because of the Lord's admonition to be you holy as I am holy, it says in First Peter. We have our freedom within the boundaries of this scripture, the truth which sets us free. Our freedom is a gift of salvation in Christ not in our obedience to the law, but our maturing and growing as a Christian. It comes from a life lived in the Holy Spirit of God. Let me show you with a simple illustration. I have this cup. Now, this is not a test for all you science people out here, because you're going to get this really quick. How can I get all the air out of this glass? One way is by suction. Put it on here, put something on here, get a vacuum pump, and suck all the air out. But guess what? Eventually the glass will shatter. Or I can do this. I can fill it with water. And as a Christian, I fill it with the waters of our baptism. Now notice that it's not all the way full, because we're not all the way perfect. But Freedom in the Christian life is not sucking out one sin at a time, here and there. It is about making room for the Holy Spirit and being filled up with the Spirit so that there is very little room for sin. The fruit of the Spirit in our life brings us our freedom. So we are free to be filled with the Spirit. And in turn, the same Spirit then gives us freedom. The New New Testament emphasizes this same freedom. I have to put it down. (laughs) That emphasizes that this filled with the Spirit freedom is to be used for loving others. You've heard that time and time again, almost every sermon. But it is our freedom and our pleasure to live as people who are free to be servants. Okay, another footnote. We are free but not autonomous. We are not free to do our own thing. We are not free from responsibility. We are not free to sin. Freedom is the state that emerges after God has acted to remove all the hindrances, all of our sins, our fears, our selfishness that block creational purpose for our life. And that purpose is to know, love, worship, and enjoy God forever. This is a freedom that has been won for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Messiah. By the power of the Spirit, we as Christians seek to live into this freedom, to join with God in freeing others through love and service. Now I have a brief moment of history lesson for our freedom. You have the freedom to serve your neighbor. The late Dwight David Eisenhower had the distinction of being the only American president to have been baptized and received into church membership upon confession of his personal faith while he was in office. I bet you didn't know that. (laughs) At his death, the memorial service in the Washington Cathedral witnessed very strongly to his faith. There was no mistaking of it for anyone who was present. The simple service, the hymns sung by choir and congregation, the scriptures read, the prayers given, even the Apostles' Creed said, all bore witness to Ike's faith in his Lord. The leaders of 100 nations were present, and they too heard the witness. And even more than that, national television brought the witness before all of us, the American people. There might have been much pomp and ceremony, but there wasn't. Eisenhower was the commander of the allied forces for the invasion of Europe. He was one of the world's most decorated military men, and many, many honors had been heaped upon him in his lifetime. Yet in death, the services were simple. It had been planned that way. He was buried in a casket, just like those used for common soldiers. With all the honors that had been bestowed him, and having been the 34th president of the United States, and having enjoyed a personal political popularity seldom matched in America today, he chose the common lot another piece of our national history. Reverend Peter Marshall, an ordained Presbyterian pastor, was appointed chaplain of the United States Senate back in the late 1940s. In a prayer before the U.S. Senate, he prayed, and I'm going to read that to you. Lord Jesus, you who are the way, the truth, and the life, hear us as we pray for the truth that shall make all free. Teach us that liberty is not only to be loved, but to be lived. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books. It costs too much to be hoarded. Help us see that our freedom is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to please others in doing what is right. These two men, a president and a chaplain, understood their freedom in Christ was not to be served and honored, but to serve others, their country, and their neighbor. As Christians, we take our national freedom and our freedom in faith very seriously, but also joyously, so we celebrate this weekend, not only as a nation founded on freedom, but as a people who have discovered and want to share their ultimate freedom in Jesus Christ. There is no other viable option for lasting freedom, This freedom in Christ calls us to celebrate it, to share it, and to live it out each day in love and service to others. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us pray. God, you have given us this good land as our heritage, Help us always to remember your generosity, to give you thanks, and to constantly seek your will for it. Bless our land with honest industry, sound learning, and an honorable way of life. Save us from violence and discord and confusion, from pride and arrogance, and from every evil way. We put our trust in you, O oh Lord. Make us who come from many nations with many different languages, a united people. Defend our liberties and give those whom we have entrusted with the authority of government the spirit of wisdom, that there might be justice, honor, and truth in our land. This morning, we also pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe who do not share in the political and social freedoms we have. Keep them strong in Christian freedom, and out of the chains of bondage. May your word be kept alive and be the truth that sets them free. We put our trust in you this day, Lord Jesus. Amen.